The Old Testament lesson for the second Sunday in Advent is from Isaiah chapter 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, Neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The epistles from Second Peter chapter 1. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplant your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This is the word of the Lord. It's no secret when you read the gospel that people get upset at Jesus' words sometimes. Many times it's his opponents. Sometimes it's just the crowds and they don't understand or accept what he's saying. The go-to example of this is, of course, John chapter 6 where Jesus, after feeding the 5,000, says, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats me will have life. My blood is true drink. And many people turned away from following him. In the start of the chapter, they wanted to make him a king. At the end of the chapter, it's just down to him and the 12 again. There is, of course, his trial, his show trial, as it were, before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, before he was crucified. And he says, you will see the Son of Man on great clouds and glory at the right hand of the Father. And certainly that was a hostile audience if there ever was one in the history of the world and they were having none of it. They tore their clothes, yelled out, do we need any more evidence against him? And then there is, of course, today. It's not evidence in the text, but I think people, many people who hear today's gospel lesson and ones like it, when Jesus speaks about the way to life being narrow, they scoff at it. They buck at it. They don't like the idea that it is hard to get into heaven. Lots of folks cannot fathom the idea of hell being real, actually existing, and very real people that we know going there. 
There's a modern Holy Trinity that's not the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This modern Trinity, it's an unholy Trinity, really, of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that guides the way so many people think about the world, think about life, and yes, even think about the Bible and religion. Now, when it comes to those three words, diversity, equity, and inclusion, the first two can kind of, in their own way, with the right understanding, check out. There is a diversity in the body of Christ. Many different types of people, many different nations, languages, and ethnicities are gathered, as Revelation says, before the throne of the Lamb in heaven. Yes, there's diversity. And salvation is equitable. The rich and the poor man are saved by the same blood of Jesus Christ and the same faith. A truly equitable outcome for people in this world. But inclusion, well... That's one where, in the modern understanding of it, you really have to squint to see that in the Bible. When people in business and workplace and the cultural talking heads you see on TV talk about inclusion, it's usually just kind of a code word for the special groups that they have, but more broadly speaking, they say inclusion means everybody regardless. No holds barred. If you want to be inclusive, you can't say no to anybody except, well, maybe a traditionalist or conservative here or there. That's okay to not include. But anything except for just drawing this big wide circle for everybody that they they say should be in, well, that's exclusive, and that is closed-minded. That's my favorite term. Some of the most closed-minded people I meet are people that throw that word around very, very frequently. You're closed-minded. Well, aren't you a little bit too? Well, Jesus didn't really mean any of this narrow way stuff. These people, these modern theologians say he didn't mean that. He's just being closed-minded if he did. So no, no, that's not what he really meant, or rather just the easy thing to do, which so many people do with stuff in the Bible, which makes them uncomfortable or upset. Just ignore it. Not talk about it. Pretend it doesn't even exist. You see, I think that people, non-Christians, and even, yes, Christians, like to step over, step past the hard, the difficult sayings of Jesus, because especially when it's something like the topic of hell, we don't want to deal with the thought and the feelings, the implications of it being a true doctrine. We don't want there to be a hell because we just can't in our minds get around the horribleness of it. If hell is what the Bible says it is, it's not a good place. Without any qualification, it's a bad place to be. And we don't want that gate into life to be narrow because, well, naturally, don't we want many people to get in there? We want it to be a wide door. We want there to be people in heaven and not hell. But indeed, as we've spoken of before, denial, especially denial of something that Jesus has, gets us absolutely nowhere. And to persist in a denial of our Lord's words that he gives for the benefit of the church runs the risk of holding ourselves back from that glorious end or if we're in a position of teaching others, we can hold them back too. I want you to imagine, for example here, that you need to have a surgery. And you go into the doctor, a doctor or surgeon who might be performing your surgery, and you say, Doc, what's your rate of success for doing this surgery? He's like, well, and he's honest. Let's say he's an honest one. He says, I'm, I'm, I'd say about 80, 85%. And you think, oh, that's a 20 or 15% failure rate. That's horrible. There's 20 or 15% of people that it doesn't work for them. 
Not everybody has a success rate when they come to you for the surgery, so you're upset by that. Would it then make sense to be like, I'm not gonna have that surgery done? There's that 15 or 20% chance that I might be one of the ones where it doesn't work for, I can't go to you or anybody else that tells me similar numbers because I just can't, I can't deal with that negative number. That would make no sense. It'd make no sense not to go forward with the surgery, especially if it's an important one, and say, no, I'm only gonna go to a surgeon who has 100% success rate, who 100% meets my idea of what a good surgeon looks like. But I think that's kind of the mentality that you're encountering when you meet people who are rejecting the faith, who reject Christianity, who reject and turn away from the Lord because there's parts of his words that they don't like, that they don't agree with, especially the doctrine of hell and judgment. But the thing is, when Jesus tells us these words, I think that folks who kind of get upset or uneasy about them, they're missing. They're missing something. Because when Jesus tells us that the way to life is narrow, he's actually telling us two things which, I would say this, are very helpful for us. The first is, yes, absolutely it's true. He says it, not many get in. That it just is what it is. Like, he's telling us how it is, so we do what? That's reality. We have to accept reality. If he's saying not many get in and the way is narrow, so well, what do we ought to do? We ought to just believe that he's telling the truth and live and witness accordingly. Rather than scoff at the idea that the way is narrow and not many get in, well, we ourselves should just simply strive to enter through the narrow door, which he tells us to do. That is, knowing that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, we should go to the Father through him. And what does this mean? That means simply confessing and repenting of our sins and believing on his name, the name of salvation. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the narrow way. That's the narrow door, the narrow gate. So, head toward it. Don't deviate from it. And why listen to anybody, pastors or otherwise, who say, eh, it's a little wider than that. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. Ignore them. Go to the door of Jesus. The second thing that Jesus is telling us about when he says that we ought to strive to enter through the narrow door is that on the other side of that door is heaven. It is eternal salvation. The question which elicited his answer was, Lord, will those who are saved be few? That's the question that's asked that gets him started on all of this. Whoever that someone was, was asking, was talking about the topic of paradise, of heaven, with God forever, after death. And Jesus' response, of course, is not saying, eh, that's wishful thinking, there's no such thing, it's just oblivious, a peaceful sleep for everybody. No. What does he do? He directs them to the narrow door. That's his response. Which is for him to say, yes, heaven is not only a place, but it's a good place. One that you want to go to. And you want to avoid the place that is not heaven. Human beings were created, even though our bodies get old, broken, and decay, we were created with immortal souls. That is to say, souls that never die. We will have a conscious existence forever, each one of us here and in the world. 
Though our bodies do decay and die, the soul will be forever. And of course, we know one day reunited with the soul and body on the last day. And so the question, the pressing question is, will that immortal soul, when it dies, when it leaves this body, go to heaven or to hell? But even more than that, it's this. It's heaven is a possibility. It is a place that we can go. In spite of our sin, in spite of our corruption and our rebellion against God, we can go to heaven when we die. It is a way that is open to us through the blood and the merit of Jesus Christ. And by faith in him, we can pass through this life to that marvelous, glorious place. What a wonderful gift. What a blessed end. Have an everlasting peace with God forever. And so the message today, the lesson I want you to take away from this is a short and a simple one. Don't read your Bible or listen to me reading it or me preaching about it or somebody else reading or preaching about it and get frustrated whenever Jesus talks about not everybody getting in or the way being narrow. Rather, Christian, say, thank you, God, that I can get in. Thank you that in spite of my sins and my unrighteousness, you've provided an end that is far more glorious than anything I could ever deserve, far more wonderful than anything I could imagine. Look to the life that is won for you by your Savior, Jesus Christ, and with his help, head toward that narrow door, and with your words and actions, try and pull as many people as you can with you. Amen.